My dear brethren and sisters, over the last few days we have of course been reading about the appeals that Moses was making to Pharaoh to free God's people and allow them to worship. And each time Moses went in to see Pharaoh, I suggest that he was feeling that he was taking his life in his hands. It had been many, many years since he last set foot in that Egyptian court, and he was no longer an Egyptian prince and entitled to the the luxuries of that palace. In fact, he was a man with a price on his head as such, because he had killed an Egyptian taskmaster. And even though many years had gone by, I'm sure there could have been some who would have remembered who he was and what he had done. But the time had also come for Pharaoh to confront the power of God Almighty. What must Moses have felt each time he went in to Pharaoh? In fear perhaps for his life, yes. In fear of what Pharaoh might do to the people, yes. Fearful of what God would do if Pharaoh refused his request to set the people free. So I suggest that Moses' knees were knocking time and again because he was, after all, only a human person like we are. Whatever our judgment might be of him now, separated by time, by experience, we have to appreciate that Moses, in many ways, was no different to us. His faith was on trial, just as our faith is on trial with the circumstances of our lives. God might have appeared to him in the past to help him, but how quickly such visions fade, such feelings of strength pass away. Moses had feet of clay and he knew it. He could easily, I suggest, turn on his heel and flee from the presence of Pharaoh. But he didn't. He didn't. And no doubt, with a quiver in his voice, the sound of his words echoed around that audience chamber time and again. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. But whatever was he saying? Why should the God of all the earth need to ask Pharaoh for permission? If Moses wondered how his request would be received, he must have wondered as well why he was asking Pharaoh in the first place. Surely God didn't need to ask. He only needed to speak, and the people would have been free. Pharaoh would have been powerless. So why was he putting Moses in that danger? Well, God doesn't work that way. Even Pharaoh had to have the chance to agree or refuse. The people had to be disciplined, tried, purified by tribulation. And Moses himself had to prove his faith, to have it tested, until he was strong enough to be the leader of God's people. And the test came sharply in Pharaoh's challenge. Who is the Lord? 
that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I think probably Moses and Aaron exchanged glances when they heard that reply and they replied together, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee. Three days journey into the desert. Sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But Pharaoh refused again and again and again, despite that confident reply that he had been given. He must have felt, after their first visit to Pharaoh, Moses must have felt what the next thing they knew was going to be. Were they going to have extra hard labor placed upon them? They must have felt like we would have done, utterly downcast, very vulnerable, perhaps even deserted by God himself. After all, they had followed God's instructions to the letter. And now, look what was happening. They were being refused and thrown out by Pharaoh. All these trials were coming upon the people of Israel. What answer could they give to the people when they complained about what was happening? No wonder Moses complained bitterly in prayer to God. Lord, why have you treated the people so badly? Whatever did you send me for, if this is the outcome? You can see that Pharaoh's made our conditions worse, and you've lifted up, haven't lifted up a finger to help us. We would surely have felt the same. And perhaps our prayers would have been just as blunt, just as pointed, just as questioning. But the question is, how do we react to the kind of difficulty which comes upon us in our daily lives when there's no one but ourselves and God to help us? Do we sag beneath the burden of carrying that weight alone? Do we rebel against the circumstances of our lives that God has let happen to us? Or do we seek strength by going to God in prayer and letting it all hang out, as it were, telling God just how we feel, holding nothing back? Not mincing our words, but saying things that are on our mind and in our heart. Letting God know that we feel close to breaking point. We feel like jacking it all in. Well, if so, we're not alone. Because that's what Moses must have felt, and that's what he almost did. He did feel abandoned. He felt abandoned by God and by his people. He felt quite alone and helpless. He didn't know which way to turn. And he felt angry as well, because he'd only done what God asked him to do. And now, look at all the trouble that had resulted. He was in no man's land. Unwelcome at home, and certainly unwelcome in Pharaoh's court. But God was ready to help him, brethren and sisters, but not until Moses and all the people were in the right frame of mind. They had to know that they were powerless to help themselves, and that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. 
they had to appreciate that simply saying what God told them to say was not enough. They really had to believe it. There was still a long way to go before they would all know and believe in that sort of way. And that included Moses, to know that God was powerful enough to save them. God was prepared to help them. And they will be helped to believe and have faith. And so God replied to Moses' prayer, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he shall he, that is Pharaoh, let them go, and with a strong hand he shall deliver them out of his land. Well, all one can say is that it didn't look much like happening the first time, or the second, or the third, and so on. If we'd been Moses, what would we have thought each and every time Pharaoh changed his mind? Certain and sure of the outcome? Or just a little sceptical, perhaps? Surely we would have had our doubts, and I feel that Moses would have done too. Which is why God intervened. He spoke again to Moses and chose his special moment to take Moses into his confidence. I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known unto them. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm, and with great judgment, and I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God. So it was the same God, but with a new name. A name revealed personally to Moses. A new name that was the development of the revelation of God. God hadn't changed as such. But with the passing of time as the covenant people were to come forth as the firstborn of God, the moment was ripe for God to reveal himself as the one who would be known as a redeemed, in a redeemed and blessed multitude. And so the mighty one of Jacob, the most high God of Abraham, God Almighty of the fathers, would be known both by what he had done in the past and what he would be doing in the future with his people as they came away from Egypt. I will be the God of a host of redeemed ones. Moses, when writing later of God's work from the days of creation, would use Yahweh as the Lord's name long before it became the revealed and memorial name. Moses must have felt very privileged to be chosen by God, to have God's new name revealed to him. No one before Moses had known what Moses now knew. He was indeed a special prophet in God's eyes, and none would match him as a mediator until the Lord would come, as prophesied by Moses himself. Yes, Moses was indeed very special in God's sight, 
but he was only human like we are. He felt like we are. He felt like we do. He acted like we do. And yet he came to be called by God himself, my servant Moses. What a privilege indeed to be known as a faithful servant of God. But surely we can see, brethren and sisters, that what was possible for Moses is possible for us too. He wasn't superhuman. If you passed him in the street, he would not have looked any different from anyone else. He had his doubts. He had his moans, his grumbles. But he had faith as well. A faith that produced works unto the glory of the God of heaven, which is what makes his example so encouraging even for us. Because where Moses leads, we can follow. So what sort of man was he? Well, although he did not know it at the time, his job was to make known to Israel and to the whole earth that name, that name and the majesty of God. But as we read only recently, he deeply doubted God's wisdom in choosing him. He wasn't the right sort of man, he thought. But it was because of his meekness, his submissiveness, his self-effacing manner, that God chose him. Because he alone could give God the glory and not take it himself. And God chooses others to be his servants if they have that sort of quality. For the work in God's house, many servants are needed. But only those whose meek and quiet characters fit them for the work that still has to be done. This meekness of Moses mentioned in Numbers means humility. And it it really means much enduring, and yes, he had to endure a great deal, didn't he? An indication, surely, of the introduction of this characteristic by sheer willpower, humility, by sheer willpower. The meekness of Moses is not a characteristic we all naturally possess, you know. It's something that we all, like Moses, have to develop. Moses showed this humble and contrite spirit and he trembled at God's word. And in his role over a rebellious Israel, he showed a high degree of endurance and forbearance, even in the face of rebellion by his own family. Perhaps the most hurtful form of rebelliousness one might be called upon to endure. And yes, he showed his, this characteristic that God asked that all of us try to show and accepted personal injury without resentment or recrimination, even pleading constantly for Israel, not for himself, but for Israel, and interceding on their behalf and on Miriam's behalf. Yes, he was a man who loved his nation and people. It's hardly necessary to point out the likeness of Christ to Moses in this respect, is it? Something that we're going to return to in a moment. This quality then of 
patient submission and humility was one of the great characteristics shown by our Lord. And it's a trait which needs much self-control and willpower to produce, especially in adversity such as Moses, yes, and Christ experienced. If only we could see times of adversity, not as moments when God has neglected us, but as God given opportunities to develop this tray of humility and meekness that confirms us as true servants of the living God. It almost goes without saying that Moses' training for his work was very hard indeed. It's clear he didn't feel comfortable or at home in Pharaoh's court any longer. He found no satisfaction in the pleasures of sin for a season. Rather, they appalled him. They were repugnant to him. And so he chose to become a fugitive and an outcast from the world into which he had been born. We're told that Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The promises of God then, made to his forefathers, were precious to him, very precious. And Paul adds, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. To hear then the second great quality of Moses, exhibited in his unbounded faith in the purpose and the promises of God. You couldn't shake it. The same assurance and devotion can be found in all of those who witness properly to the truth. And so we should be determined this morning that though many disbelieve, many disbelieve, we will never doubt that God will fulfill every word of what he has promised, no matter how the problems we have, how hard the problems are that we have to face. We will keep on serving, undeterred, undaunted by all the discouragements and hardships that come our way. Moses did that. So can we. But we have to be patient, like Moses. God will keep his promises, but when? We don't know. We'll have to wait at least a little longer. In the same way, Moses' sojourn in Midian was a great test of patience, wasn't it? In the 400-year period of Israel's sojourn in Egypt, predicted by God to Abraham, it only expired after Moses had been in Midian ten years. But he had to wait another 30 years before the first ray of hope appeared. The period was spent in isolation, wasn't it? Which would have added to his trial of patience. But like Abraham before him, who against hope believed in hope, Moses patiently endured, and so he was mentally and morally fit to carry out the mission that was eventually given to him. Yes, the same patience is required of us, brethren and sisters, because to all God's servants comes the message, ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye 
might receive the promise. So those are just a few of the qualities that we need to develop as well if we are to be called servants of God. And so it's recorded that Moses was faithful in all his house. That is, he was marked out for his faithfulness among all those who were deemed to be in the house of God. And his reward, I suggest, is certain. Though it's no more certain than it is for any of God's servants who exhibit that meekness and faith and trust and patience and wholehearted obedience to the divine commands as outstanding qualities in their lives too. Put that way, surely we can see that the example of Moses is there not to discourage us, but to encourage us, in that he was fallible, he had his faults, but he didn't rate himself highly at all. But God did. And likewise, God will value value us as his servants if we serve him honestly and faithfully to the limits of our ability. So we turn our thoughts now to the one who was described by Stephen in the book of Acts as the prophet like unto Moses. This is that Moses, he said, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. Now the context of Stephen's words shows clearly that this prophet was Jesus Christ. And similarly, in Acts 3, Peter quotes the same passage from Deuteronomy 18. He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Yes, there was no uncertainty as far as Peter and Stephen were concerned as to who Moses so long before had been referring. It's perhaps the clearest messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. And it was surely this prophecy that the men who saw the miracles of Christ recalled. This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world, they said. If this prophecy that the people thought of when It was this prophecy that the people thought of when they heard the teaching of Christ. And they said again, of a truth, this is a prophet. It was only the faithful in the first century who recognized that Jesus the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee, was indeed their long-promised Messiah. To them, the likeness of Christ to Moses was unmistakable. And to us too, who are far off, surely the likeness is obvious. Which is very encouraging to know, isn't it? Because in the same way as we can see that Moses was not superhuman, 
not a distant character that we can't relate to or understand, not somebody in another league to ourselves. No, we can view Christ as closer to us as Moses was. Tried in all points like we are, yet Christ was without sin. We can wish for a more exalted title ourselves than being the servant of God, as he was. And we can be assured of having that reward that he hoped for too. Yes, the example of Moses and of Christ are both there for us to follow. As we read in Exodus 6.6, Although we might now be suffering under the burden of sin, God has said, I will bring you out. I will rid you out of the bondage to sin and death. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me for a people. I will be your God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, and I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. And the emblems of the suffering and the death of the prophet like unto Moses then before us upon the table here, we see the fulfillment of that promise of redemption that has indeed been made possible through Christ. A way has been made possible for us to escape from that bondage of sin and death, to receive the promise of life eternal first given to Abraham and to his sons and confirmed for us through the work of Moses. That is our wonderful hope and most certain heritage if we too are faithful in all God's house and his willing and obedient servants. In God's mercy, may we be recognized as his servants and given that inheritance when the prophet light unto Moses returns as we know he will.